0: each of us spiritual gifts. We are a part of the body and the church is not suffering because we have no members. It is because our members have cut themselves off of the body, not out of the family of God, but out of the service of God. Uh, if God gives you a foot and you break that foot, like Mark has broke his ankle, uh, you can tell that he is not operating at the same level he was before. But No, he's not. Yeah. <laughs> So many things I like to say, but I shouldn't. But what we think is, though, when someone that is a believer and is a part of a church says, I'm not going to serve, or I'm not going to come, or I'm not going to be involved like I know God wants me to, what we have done to the local church is the same thing that Mark has done to his ankle. We have removed a part of the body that God put here. And so when we look around churches and we wonder why things don't work the way they're supposed to, or, or we can't fill the slots that we need to, it's not because God doesn't want to, it's because people have made a choice to remove themselves, to harm themselves, to, to do whatever you want to describe it in your own mind. For instance, around this time of year, you will see kids who put on an eye patch and uh, dress up as a pirate and get candy. It hinders their vision, and it's cute on Halloween. But if you've ever had any vision trouble and had to wear an eye patch for an extended period of time or lost your eyesight in one eye like we had a lady here at church, I can tell you it's not something you would ever choose. While I joke about having no hearing in one of my ear when I'm around my family because I always just turn this side to them when things are loud and crazy... It's not something that I would ever wake up one morning and say, you know what, I think I just would love to lose my hearing today and never give it back. And all of us would understand that in our physical bodies, that we're, we want to be healthy, we want to be able to do what we want to do, and, and we would not harm ourselves unless there was something wrong, right? Or unless we were struggling with depression or something like that. But what has happened in the local church is people who are gifted, people who are a bo- part of the body have said, for whatever reason... I'm wore out, I don't want to do it anymore, someone else should do it, and they have removed themselves, and what you have are churches that are limping around like a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. And you wonder, and I wonder, why churches are ineffective, why, why we don't see God work and move in a special way. And so tonight I really hope just to talk about spiritual gifts. I know you are all here on a Wednesday night and you love to serve and you love to do and and you've got a wonderful attitude and and we're talking about all those people that aren't here, okay? And you can tell them to come back and watch this later. But in 1 Corinthians the 7th chapter, if you would turn there with me if you have your Bible. I know you have the verses in front of you, but I think this one's really important to look at. Spiritual gifts are specifically Given. Now, this is very controversial because some people will say, Well, I want this gift and I'm going to beg God for it. I'm going to fast for it. I'm going to make God give it to me. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we see Paul is writing to a group of Christians who are not happy with the stature and the standing of their life. You can read here in chapter 7, and some of these people were getting saved and they're saying, Well, I don't want to be married to this woman. She was fine while I was lost and didn't know any better but I don't want that anymore. I want a nice, wonderful Christian woman who's going to love me and and to be in church with me. and, And they're saying, I'm just going to leave her and find a new one. Paul says, no, 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 no. No, that's not how this works. And so there in verses 10 through 16, he talks about staying faithful in the marriage. If you look in chapter 7, verse 25... He then starts talking about those who aren't married. Because some of them are saying, well, you know, now that I'm saved, I've got to get married, right? I need to get married. And Paul says, no, no, no. Be content where you're at. God has you where He has you for a reason. And here in verse 17, he begins to talk about churches. He begins to talk about all of these things in serving the Lord. And he says, But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. And so if God has given you the gift of singing, but yet you don't want to sing, you'd rather do something else, Paul is saying, no, that's the gift God gave you. And you should be thankful for it, and you should use it. If God has given you the ability to teach, you ought to use that gift to teach. You say, Jake, I don't want to teach. I don't like to teach. I I don't like to be in front of people. It doesn't matter. You are to be content and to serve God as He has given them to you. Now, there are about 18 spiritual gifts that you can find in the New Testament. I'll read them very quickly. Some people would say there's more or less. Some people would say they're still active. Some would say they're not. But I'm just going to read all of them to you. The gift of administration. The gift of an apostle. Discernment. Evangelism. Exhortation. Faith. Giving. Healing. Helps. Hospitality. Knowledge. Leadership. Mercy. Mercy prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues, teaching, and wisdom. And so God has given people gifts to be used within the body. And the church only functions the way God wants it to when the people who have those gifts use them. Now, some of you might be saying, well, I don't have that gift, but it's an open slot and I'll fill it. Thank you. And I appreciate that. But that is never going to operate the way God intended it for until someone with that gift stands up and says, that's my calling. That's what God created me for. Uh, every Sunday afternoon, we go to Heritage Woods and I lead the singing. And what I can tell you is, it is not like the singing you hear here, all right? It is not very good at all. Uh, thankfully, they're older and they don't hear well and they don't see well, and so I just tell them I'm Jamie anyway. But gosh, uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but that's not my gift. I know that's not my gift. My gift is not to lead in song and in worship, but yet they need somebody, and so there they have. And so but yet it will never be as good as someone who is called, who feels like that's their gift, like that they enjoy leading people. Into worship, And so you have all been in church long enough to see this. The old state saying is 20% of the people do 80% of the work. But yet, when we read the New Testament, that is exactly the opposite. Each one of us that is saved and called has been what? But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called, Just like the Lord drew you through the power of the Holy Spirit, He has given you a gift to be used. So I'll hear people say this, Well, Jake, I know I'm saved, I know I'm on my way to heaven, but church is just not for me. What that's really saying is, I want to be a part of the body, I just don't want to do anything. It's kind of like what I think about exercise. I just don't want to do it. But yet I suffer because of it. And so tonight I just really want you to see that God has a purpose for you even if you don't think you have a place, even if you don't think that you can, God has distributed to each one. That means every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. You say, Jake, I just can't find it. Well, there's all kinds of spiritual gift tests. There's all kinds of things you can read. But tonight I want you to hear that God has given you something to be used, whether you're young, whether you're middle-aged, or whether you are Old. And so he says that here in this passage of Scripture, and he says, Be thankful for the gift that you've been given, and be content. Thoughts? Questions? A gift and a talent. That's a good question. Uh, a gift is something that God has given you specifically to accomplish a biblical uh, task. A talent is something that you can use to bring God glory, but not necessarily is what you have been called to do in the local church. So, for instance, uh, you see Christian athletes. They have a talent to play a sport that I don't. Uh, and they can use that to glorify God. But I believe gifts are to be used within the local church. And so they are given specifically for a local congregation, a local body of believers to use it. That's what I feel like the New Testament teaches. But some of might have a different of opinion. So the second thing I want to show you is, because I want to move on because it's so controversial, Uh, because if you've ever watched a television preacher, they will say, well, you don't have it, but yet you want it, you just need to ask for it. You just need to ask harder for it or longer for it. But yet, that's not what Paul says. Paul says, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called. And why is he saying that? Because the church at Corinth didn't like their spiritual gifts. They all wanted the flashy ones. They wanted the ones that got them in front of everybody. But Paul says the greatest is love. Right? You can do all these other things, but if you have not love, it does not matter. And we've probably all went to church long enough to know someone that was good at something and could do something for the Lord, but they were a grade A jerk. And all that they could do for God meant so little because of their personality. And how they loved each other. And so, just because God has given you a gift doesn't mean you can't misuse that gift or you can use it in the wrong way. Because spiritual gifts are given for a purpose, they're not given just randomly by chance. And so, if you flip over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 13, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offering of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. What Paul is talking about here, he is saying, it's not wrong for him to receive financial support to do ministry. But he also turns around and says, even though I could, I choose not to. But it doesn't matter whether I'm paid or not paid, I'm called to do the work. And the work needs to get done. And the work's going to get done regardless of anything else. And so I heard Adrian Rogers say at one time, uh, they asked him at his ordination service, What would we do? What would you do if we did not ordain you? He said, I'd just keep on preaching because God called me and you can't stop me. And I thought that was a really wonderful thing because you have to know what God's called you to do, you have to know that there's a purpose for your calling. And whether you're a volunteer, whether you're paid, whether you're uh, you, all of those things don't matter. Whether you go on mission trips, whether you serve in your local church, whatever the setting is and the background is, it doesn't define what God has called you to do. Because when I was uh, working at uh, Walgreens uh, eleven years ago, being a janitor and loved every minute of it, uh, I always thought, well, I'll never leave here. Because I have the best job you could ever ask for, right? I didn't do much, and I didn't get didn't get on to me. I, I had it made, literally. Right? I hate sleeping at night. I love, you know, so midnights is perfect. And I thought, what I'll do is, you know, I'll just help some church, I'll work here. I got the best of both worlds. If the church and I don't like each other, I'll just go somewhere else, right? Because they won't pay me, it'll be here. And then like four months later, John's like, hey, I'm going to leave, but you're going to have to quit your job. And I'm like, no, right? That's not going to happen. I have everything I want here. I can serve the Lord like this. And the Lord had different plans. But so many times that's the goal. I would hear... Part-time pastors would say, well, if I could just get a bigger church, or if I could just get a church that would pay me, or if I could just get this, then I would be better, or I would be more effective. And God says, just be faithful. Be faithful where He has you. Whether your Sunday school class has eight people in it, 18 people in it, 38 people in it, whether your food pantry ministry reaches three families or seven, be faithful to do it because God has called you for a purpose. Thoughts? Questions? Everybody's in total agreement. Just love it. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul begins to list through all of these spiritual gifts. Uh, And in verse 1, he literally says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant... And Paul uses ignorant another place in the New Testament when he says, talking about the second coming of the Lord, I don't want you to be ignorant, brother, about those who have fallen asleep in Christ, right? That the dead in Christ will rise first and then those of us who remain will be quickly changed. So Paul is saying, you can make a choice to just ignore all this. Act like it doesn't matter. Just do church however it sees fit. But you will not be who God wants you to be. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. He's not talking to lost people, he's talking to the church. And so tonight you might be here saying, Jake, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, and I just, I'm not really worried about it. What Paul says is, don't be mad at me, you're being ignorant. As a church, if we say, well, it doesn't matter who teaches Sunday school, it doesn't matter who does this, it it doesn't matter, anybody can do anything. What Paul says is we're being ignorant because you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Not just created to bring your parents joy and your grandparents joy, but you were made perfectly and unique to fit into a local church, to accomplish what God wants you to. To accomplish. That's why you've probably heard me say, if 10 mile is not a fit for you, then I encourage you to find somewhere where you can fit. Because God created you to fit somewhere, into some local church. Because Jesus loves the local church. Jesus wants the local church to accomplish its mission. And so we won't read all of this, but we'll just kind of just look at some of it. You know that you were Gentiles. Carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Now, he said dumb and ignorant in two sentences here, okay? Paul does not want us to be dumb and ignorant. Paul wants us to be wise. He wants us to know what God has for our lives. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are a diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all, each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, To another, the gift of healings by the same Spirit. And so he begins to list this out. Because if you're familiar with the early church, they struggled with the sin of idolatry. And they would worship at different idols. And so in their mind, you'd have the Spirit of healing. You might have the God of miracles. You might have the God of faith. You might have the God of prophecy. And what Paul is saying is there's one Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is one. There are not multiple little spirits, it is Him. And He is the same in all of us, but yet He works differently through each of us. And so when I got saved and the Holy Spirit came to live within me, and when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live within you, it was the same. You didn't get more of it because you're richer than me. I didn't get more of Him because I'm better looking than you. You didn't get less of Him because you were a a different race or or minority background, the same Spirit. And so when the Lord is at work and the church is going in one direction, that's why the Bible says the unity in the Spirit. Because God is not going to lead Lucas to do something and then turn around and lead me to do the exact opposite thing and tear the church apart. You See, God has a purpose for you and a plan for you. He has a purpose for this church, a purpose for your ministry, And he wants that to be accomplished. But yet Satan tries to divide. He tries to to split. He tries to confuse. And so there in verse 11, or we can read verse 10 and 11. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kind of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things. Don't miss this distributing to each one individually as he wills. And this is where the Pentecostal church has, I believe, stepped away from the authority of Scripture. When they say, well, you got saved when you accepted Jesus, but you really get right with God when then you get baptized by the Spirit. And by that, it means that you have to speak in the gift of tongues. But yet what Paul says right here in this verse... But one and the Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. And what that means in the original language is, God has given Chris a gift, and He might give Jeremy a different gift. He might give Randy a different gift. He might give Matt a different gift. He gave them to you specific and individually, but He doesn't have to give them all to you. And I think you will find very few people, if anyone, who has all of the gifts. Because why? There is no need to have a whole church full of heads. And there's no need to have a church full of eyes. Why? Because each one of us is individually different and unique and has a purpose to play. And so I really want to encourage you, when you begin to talk to people about the gifts of the Spirit and how the Spirit of God works, that emotions drive this debate. Well, I experience this, or I feel that, or I want this. Those are all fine, unless they go against the Scriptures. And Paul says to each one individually as he wills. And I want to, to stay here for just a moment Because that doesn't mean individual churches, it means individual people. So it says, well, this denomination got this gift, but yet this denomination didn't get that gift. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible might teach that you individually have a gift that I don't have, but Ten Mile didn't get the gift of miracles, and then Blooming Grove got left out. Or First Baptist got the gift of prophecy, but New Salem got left out. It's not what it's teaching here. It's individual spiritual gifts. And the greatest way that you and I can get bent out of shape is when we want something that God didn't give us. In every area of our life. It's literally one of the big ten. Do not covet. Well, if I just had that gift, or if our church could just do that, or if if I could just be like them, And what it makes us is not being who God created us to be. It's okay that I don't have the gift of healing. It's okay that I don't have the gift of interpretation of tongues. It's okay that I might not have uh, the gift of miracles. That's okay. But yet, when we watch people on television or we watch the people who get celebrated, it's always the big ones, isn't it? I mean, Benny Hinn's not trying to imitate the gift of um, mercy. Or the gift of helps. The gift of helps when you are specifically created to be a helper. doesn't matter what the situation is or, or what the person is going through. That's just your gift. I don't mind to get down in the mess of life with you. That's a spiritual gift. How about uh, uh, this gift of serving? It's a spiritual gift. Some people serve better than others. Now some people will tell me, well, that's why I don't serve at church. I don't have that gift. All of us are called to serve. Some of you are just better at it than others. And that's how God made you. You don't see those on the television. You don't see those that are the ones that are being... How about giving? You don't see these TV preachers saying, hey, we're giving everything we make away. We're going to live in single wide trailers. We're going to drive old beat-up cars. We're going to give it all away because that's my spiritual gift. The spiritual gift of giving. Now, I'm not saying you have to give it all away. But just once, I would love someone who wants the attention to have a gift that's not about them. And friends, tonight, if your gift is one of these that no one else ever sees, that's okay. Don't make yourself into something that God never meant for you to because you were perfectly made with a perfect purpose in your life. So, thoughts, questions, discussions, disagreements... Well, we have had a couple times someone quietly do it in the pew. And then after church, they would say something like, uh, well, I just slipped into tongues. I hope no one else heard me. And um, my response was, well, if it was from the Lord, you should have wanted someone to hear you so that then they could have interpreted it. But no. I also think that God... So I'm not going to wade into if it's, is it ceased or it hasn't ceased. I've already preached on that. You can listen to it. We lost five families that Sunday that I preached that sermon. Um, but uh, So I'd rather not walk through that one more time. But I think you have to return to this. So even when it talks about this in verse 10, about the different kinds of languages, if you study the original Greek that Paul used, it doesn't mean unknown. It means different. So, for instance, if you can speak Swahili and I can't, in the early church, when Peter stood up and began to preach, someone heard in their Swahili, he's speaking Swahili. But yet, if I know Swahili and Lucas doesn't, then someone else would stand up and say, This is what he was saying in that person's language. And such identified God. That's very important because it is such an emotional debate. But what does the scripture say?s It says different kinds of tongues. In the book of Acts, it is literally the word for known languages. So, if you crash landed in China and someone needed to hear the gospel, do I believe God could do something like that? I'm not going to say He couldn't. Absolutely. I believe that God wants people to be saved. He wants the gospel to go. I believe that. But do I believe what is going on in most churches fits the biblical qualifications? No. Am I telling you they're not right? No. I'm not going to wade into that debate because each church is their own. They can do what they want. I am responsible for this one, all right? But when you look at what the Scripture says, it is very specific in how it is to be exercised. Because, because, let's look what the Scripture says. Because in verse 12, they begin to see that all this stuff is causing problems in the church. For as the body is one and has many. "...members of that one body. Being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body." That word there literally means once, one time. "...whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or fears, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many." And then it goes on there and talks about this whole issue of misuses of gifts and the wrong reasons to do gifts and and how that plays itself out. But it literally says in verse 25 that there should be no schism in the body. If a spiritual gift tears a church apart, something is wrong. It's not supposed to be that way. Because it goes on and says, "...but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it." Ten Mile is supposed to rise and fall together. It's never a one-man show, a one-woman show. It's together. We weep together. We rejoice together. We celebrate together we mourn together. Why? Because we are put together for a purpose. And anything that is torn apart dies. It's very important to notice that. Anything in nature that is torn apart, that's cut in half, either dies or spends the rest of its life maimed. Is that the right word, maimed? Did I say that right? I've been known to mispronounce the words wrong from time to time. And most churches, I believe this, are like wounded animals. They've tore themselves apart. They've chewed off their own leg. They've chewed off their own arm. And what you see is something that is alive, but it is ineffective. Right? If I was to challenge Mark to race me to the—sorry, um, Mark, you're sitting right there in the middle—and we spent all afternoon together. I love you. If Mark and I raced to the sign down by the road and back, and we had to run. Not use the scooter, but we had to run. Both of us probably wouldn't make it back. But, <laughs> but I would have an advantage, right? Because I have two working legs. He could probably get there. He'd have to walk a while, crawl a while, drag himself a while. And that's what happens when churches, for either their own reason or for the individual's reasons, divide, decide not to be who God wants them to be. And what you have is an organization trying to get to an end goal, but they're missing things, right? That's why as a kid you always say, oh, I hope I never lose my thumb. And people like to give a thumbs up, and you're like, no, because I like to pick my nose, right? It's important. Or you tie your shoes. All these things in life, a a thumb doesn't seem to make a big difference until you're missing it, right? Wearing a wedding ring is easy as long as you have the finger to wear it. But if you lose that finger, you have to wear it somewhere else. And so I just really want you to see tonight that this church and its future depends on you being who God called you to be, doing what God has called you to do, and to being who God wants you to be. You say, well, we'll just pay you to do it. I can't be everything. I mean, I'm a big guy, but I can't be everything. Well, we'll just pay Jamie to do it. Jamie can't do everything. You say, well we'll, well, we'll do this. It's not. It's you, the body, being who God wants you to be. Thoughts? Questions? Anybody that would like to talk for the next 20 minutes before we move on to this next one, I would be more than happy for you to handle that. If you haven't read ahead, then you know why. Well, I think sometimes people feel like it's presumptuous of them mm-hmm. saying, well, I can do this or I can do that. That's my theory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Step up. yeah I would agree with that I would agree I don't know how to fix it but I would agree with it yeah and sometimes you have people that want to do something but yet they know it's not their spiritual gift and so as a pastor it can be one of the greatest things in the world when someone comes up to me and says pastor God just had something on my heart I'm like awesome I know them and other people when they come up and say God's got something on my heart it's like oh no oh this is not going to be good right and not always is it that way, but it's true. You have to have the confidence of knowing who you are in Christ. And if it doesn't work out and you get six months into it and say, this isn't my spiritual gift, that's okay. That's all right. That's not a problem. So a couple years ago, we had Lucas teaching the junior high Sunday school class. After about, what, a year? Lucas comes to, this ain't my gift. <laughs> And so, we just made him stay and teach the junior high boys. No, we, we got him out of there. Why? Because he tried it, he did it, and he said, this is not where I think God wants me to be. And we have to be okay with that as a church. We have to encourage people that, hey, try it, pray about it. And if it's not, great, right? So, yes. I've, been, I've heard a lot of people talk about learning, learning, and get, learning, and Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. So the Bible literally calls them grace gifts that God has given you. Now, can you learn how to do things better? Or can you improve on certain skills? Absolutely. But an actual gift, it is from the Lord. And that's what it says there, that it was given. And so when people say, well, I I learned this gift of the Holy Spirit, I'm always like, well, that's not what the Bible says, but you can take it up with the author. So, you know, for sure. But you're right on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, I am not the ultimate authority on the Holy Spirit, right? (laughs) I'm just telling you what the Bible says, and then you can take it up with the author. Yes? Um, Do you have the gift of tongues? Because you said you're going to Mexico. I want to know, have you learned Spanish? No. I took a year of Spanish and a year of French in high school because I didn't want to learn either one of them. But yet you had to have two years. And so my Spanish teacher said, weren't you in Spanish one last year? And she goes... That makes a lot of sense. Ms. Hewbanks is like, are you going to pick the same name for both of them? I said, yep. It was Herman and both of them. She goes, how do you pick the one non-Spanish sounding name? I'm like, well, Jesus wasn't an option. So, you know. But no, I do not have that gift and have never exercised it. Okay. You don't to do that. Well, I don't think the Lord has given it to me. So if I did exercise it, it would be in the flesh. And I don't want any part of that. Okay. So I won't in Spanish. No, please don't. I have a Spanish teacher that goes to church here, I would text it to her and be like, what does it say? And then I'd text it back. The problem is, she might text me back the wrong thing, and I'd say, you know. Alright, well, we're going to wade into this next one, huh? Spiritual gifts come with instructions and purposes. And I say this, and I want to remind you that all of these verses are not ones that I picked. Remember? They came from the Baptist faith and message. It was in the list of verses... And that's what we're going to talk about, all right? And so, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, please turn there if you have your Bible with you tonight. Spiritual gifts come with instructions and purposes. What you will hear a lot of times in church is, no matter what someone wants to do, they start it with, well, I feel, I feel, or the Lord wants And all I can tell you is I am not going to call everyone a liar. It's not my job to run around and fix every church and call people liars. What my job is is to preach the Scriptures, to stand upon the Scriptures, to make sure that this church stands on the Scriptures. And so I feel, I think, I'd like have no bearing when it comes to what does God want? All right, and I'm just going to start with that tonight, all right? Because in 1st Timothy, we have to look at what he's talking about. He is writing to a pastor who is facing a whole lot of trouble in a church. And he tells them, if you remember in 1st Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, all right? But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. So he says, I'm writing this letter for this church and all churches to know what God wants for them. All right, Jake didn't write 1 Timothy. Paul wrote that and specifically right in the middle of it said, Churches are a mess. The churches are going astray. And I want you to see exactly what God wants for you. Now for me, when I read that, that should encourage me. Because God says, you've made a mess of things and you need to remember that I love you too much to go astray. And so I'm going to fix it. I'm going to show you how it's supposed to be right here in black and white. Well, then he proceeded to talk about some stuff that we don't like. And so what was meant for God to give us as instructions, as wisdom, as encouragement, has been used to tear the church apart. This week and I'm going to just call it by name, Saddleback Church, the largest Southern Baptist church uh, in the top three in America, Uh, recently got a new pastor. Rick Warren has retired. And their new pastor said this week in an article that his wife is a better preacher, a better pastor, and a better minister than he is. And he encourages her and all of the young women in their church that they ought to fulfill the role of pastor as God has called them to do it. He is also looking at starting a Saddleback Church in every large city in America. He is also looking at starting a college for pastors and prophets to do this very same thing so that a generation of Southern Baptists will see the error of their ways and turn. Well, I cannot begin to explain to you in appropriate language the thought that went through my head when that originally was said. Because that is in direct violation of 1 Timothy. If you don't want to be a Southern Baptist, don't be. Every other denomination out there has flipped the script. You can go to the Methodist Church, the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, the, the Pentecostal Church, any other church out there if you want a woman pastor, it's us and Independent Baptist. It's all that's left, and the Catholic Church. And I say that because spiritual gifts come with instructions and purposes. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he talks about no other doctrine. You have to know what you believe. You have to stand on what you believe. He talks about the fact in verses 12 through 17, that God's grace is good to us, that even though we go astray, that He loves us. He tells them in verses 18 through 20 to fight the good fight. And if you know anything about your Bible, when it was written, 1 Timothy wouldn't have had headings and chapters, right? It would have been one letter like you would have wrote someone with paragraphs. And so what happens is we read it and think, well, chapter 1 doesn't apply to chapter 2. And chapter 2 doesn't apply to chapter 3. But if you've ever wrote a letter, you just write and you think and you write and you think and the Spirit of God. So I want you to hear the significance of this. In first 18 of chapter 1, Paul says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies presently made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith have shipwrecked of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. He says, fight the good fight, stand firm, and then he wades into chapter 2. Now, I don't know if Paul had some strong-willed people in his church or not, but there's probably a reason he gave those instructions before he gave us chapter 2. Because chapter 2 is not very popular with anybody. But yet he tells us that, and so he begins to say, pray for lost people. Pray for lost people. And he says that you should pray for all lost people kings, queens, uh, your enemies, your friends, doesn't matter who it is. You pray for them and you pray that God would save them. Right? So he's showing us here that male, female, Jew, Greek, none of that matters in regards to salvation. Anybody is equal at the foot of the cross when it comes to salvation. Paul writes that in Galatians chapter 3. And that's what he talks about here in verses 1 through 7. It's a wonderful chapter. I have preached it many times about why I believe that Jesus died for all people. Because it literally says, right there in verse 4, "...who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth." That's what he says. That's God's heart. But in verse 8, does Paul just lose his mind... As one of my liberal professors at Liberty University said, Paul just lost his mind right here. He was a male chauvinist. He didn't like women. And it comes out right here in this passage of Scripture. I disagree with that. I believe that Paul knew what he was writing, why he was writing it, and that there was a purpose behind it. And so I'm going to read verses 8 through 14, and you can stone me later. (laughs) I desire, therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly things, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works." Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived, fell into a transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now there are two extremes here. You have some groups that say, See, women, you're not ever supposed to talk. And while sometimes that could be a blessing, that's not what Paul was saying. On the other side of that, you have people who say, well, you can't comb your hair, you can't brush your hair, you can't wear gold, you can't wear jewelry. You you, you just come to church like the Amish and the Mennonites. That's where they get these beliefs from is this actual chapter. But what does it actually mean? Well, what is Paul addressing? Paul is addressing, addressing a pastor of a local church about issues regarding pastors. And so what Paul is saying is, when the church meets corporately, like we're doing now, like we do on Sunday morning, like we do on Sunday night, that when the Word of God is being taught, when the Word of God is being preached to adults, that it should be a man. Now, before you get angry at me, before you get angry at me, don't forget that if you look over in the book of Titus, The book of Titus. You can flip over there with me if you want to, or you can already be mad at me and not listen. Whatever makes you happy, I'm okay with it. In chapter 2 of Titus, your Bible probably says qualities of a sound church. I didn't write that. Paul didn't write that. But someone did. He talks about younger women teaching... Being taught by who? Older women. And that older men be taught by younger. Excuse me, young men be taught by older men. But I want to read this to you in verse 3. The older women likewise that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to wine, teachers of good thing. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And so what I believe this teaches is, this is, my opinion, you can disagree with me, it doesn't matter. When the church meets corporately, the pastor is to be a male. The man that preaches the sermons to God's people is to be a male. That's what it says. In Sunday school, when it is being taught, I believe a male should teach. I believe that there should be discussion, there should be questions, and that should come from both genders. I believe it is not wrong for a woman to stay. I don't think that's what it means. Have you ever thought about it like this? I think that is exactly okay from what the Bible says. Because if you remember, Paul was taken beside by a male and woman and ministered to in a private setting. When it is a woman's class, I believe that God wants women to teach women in that setting. When children are involved, I believe that God intends for men and women to teach children or youth. I believe all those things are fine. I believe if you have me over for chocolate cake and chicken and dumplings, and you want to sit and talk about the deep theological things of God, we absolutely should. But what he's saying is when the church meets corporately, that the office of pastor is to be a male. And when it's not done that way, he even goes back to the very beginning in the garden. Now, if he didn't do this, you could say, well, I think it's up for interpretation. You know, Paul might not have meant what he meant. But because he goes back all the way to the garden in Genesis, he is bringing it all the way back to just like God created everything. This is what I mean. This is what God means. And so... Spiritual gifts come with instructions. Now, are there women that teach the Bible better than me? Absolutely. I've listened to women Bible studies. I've listened to different things in my private time. Wonderful job. We have a women's Bible study going on right now in this church. And so we are all for women learning and women being gifted and women using that gift. But yet Paul says there are times and there are certain gifts that have instructions. For instance, the gift of speaking in tongues. It is given, but yet someone has to interpret. It also says that if there's lost people in the midst, it shouldn't be used. Right? And so what we see here is that spiritual gifts are given. They are to be used, but God also gives us instructions how to use them. Now, the men in here, I know that doesn't mean anything to you, right? Because you don't ever look at instructions. You open it, you're like, I can put this together. I bought a Swiffer for my wife to clean our floors with at our house. And what I realized is I have been using it to clean the floors in our house. But I took it out of the box. I put it together. I put that thing in it that sprays the little uh, stuff out in front of you when you go. And I'm like, I got this. I'm ready to go. And so I'm walking around the house and I'm pushing that little button in front of me. And I didn't want to be cleaning anyway. So I wasn't in a really good mood. I get the whole sun porch done. And I'm like, man, this looks as nasty as when I started. Took the little bottle out, you know, it's got the thing on that's it, got a top on it, that's got a push button, and it says don't remove the top. Well, I removed the top because it wasn't coming out. That had to be the problem. Wasn't the problem. So I put it back down in the thing without the top on it, and it made a water mess everywhere. Chemicals are everywhere. And I'm going, what's wrong with these people from China that made this thing, right? And then I got the instructions out, and it said that the sprayer takes two AA batteries that came with the thing, but I didn't care. I was so grouchy and so upset that I was the one having to do it that I didn't think it. I put those two batteries in it, I just went to town, right? I just, I, I just felt like uh, what Aunt B from, you know, I just it felt like I was just, just doing a good thing. Just push that little button, just braid. But if I had just listened to the instructions, and what I want to say is this, Just because a church doesn't do it the same way we do doesn't mean that God can't bless. Because every church does something that God's Word says it shouldn't. But I want to be as close to being right with God as I can when I know what the Word says. And so tonight, I'm not here to criticize any other churches. I'm not here to say they're doing it wrong. But what I can say is I believe this is what the Bible teaches and the last thing, and then we'll open it up for discussion. In Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, the writer is talking about all the Old Testament saints, what they went through, all their struggles, all their uh, problems. It says in verse 39, "...all these things have obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God have provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us." He says, "...even though the Old Testaments did great things..." The Old Testament prophets, they, they, you know, they, they walked across the dry land. They, they did all kinds of miracles. They experienced the power of God. They were looking forward to what was coming. The fact that Jesus was going to come. We, as New Testament Christians, know what He has done. We are living from victory. We're not fighting for victory. Christ has won the victory and we live because of that. And we serve because of that. And so because of that, those of us who have the Holy Spirit living within us should be embracing those promises and living for Jesus more because we really understand what we've been given. Even though Elijah did great things for God, Elisha, Moses, they didn't understand the full work of the cross. Yes, Isaiah predicted the suffering servant, but he could have never fully imagined what we get to read about in the New Testament. What Jesus went through for us. How He loved us and cared for us. And so as New Testament Christians, we ought to be serving better. We ought to be serving more faithful. We ought to be willing to sacrifice more because why? We know Him in all of His fullness. And not fullness like when you get to heaven, but what He intended to do. So if you need a motivator to serve the Lord, remember what He's done for you and follow Him.